If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring him down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up into the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovitz, joined here by Matt Taylor and Lara Overton. We are less than a week away from the start of the legal tampering period, as it is informally known, for NFL free agency. So later on in this podcast, you are going to hear Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. He joined Lara and I at the NFL Combine last week to preview the free agency period that again starts next week. And then later in the podcast, hey, Lara and I were joined by Laura Rutledge of ESPN, a really interesting interview about her career and hosting NFL Live, some interesting stuff in there. But first, we've got some stuff to get to here in Indianapolis on Tuesday as we're recording this. A little bit of news hit us last week. And before we start into that, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network and give us one of those five-star reviews. We love seeing those wherever you get your podcasts. Anyways, the news that hit on Monday, two things, guys. The Tony Dungy Coaching Fellowship was announced here by the Colts, and it's a really, really neat thing. It's something that I think does a really good job of starting to kind of attack the issue of diversity and the lack of diversity in the coaching ranks league-wide. So, guys, if you just want to start off, like let's explain what this is and what it means for the Colts organization. Well, first off, I mean – This is going to be great because what the Colts are doing is it's offering a chance, an internship opportunity on both sides of the ball, a guy in offense and a guy on defense. You know, we've we've done some cool things in our career, but sometimes you just need a door open for you and you need a chance and someone needs to take a chance on you. And I think that's what this opportunity does for minority coaches. It gives guys a chance to be exposed to the NFL, the Colts, um, it, it's a huge opportunity for people, and I hope people take advantage of it. I'm incredibly excited, and I'm also incredibly proud the Colts are, are taking this step forward because, you know, every year in, in the month of January, it's there's there's a big point of contention around the league with, you know, the hiring cycle and, you know, why are minority candidates not being considered and why are we not seeing more coaches of color and uh, general managers of color? I think this is another step to fix that because – Obviously, no matter where you come from and no matter what your background is, you know, there's people that have great ideas that are really good at putting football teams together, at coaching this game. Um, So this is just a great opportunity for people to get their foot in the door. And that's really what it's all about when you're talking about giving people a chance to show off what they can do to see what they're made of. And notably, there are similar programs league wide, and that's how Cato June was previously in the building in a coaching capacity. He'd been coaching at the high school and collegiate ranks, and then he accepted one of these fellowship opportunities, and that's several seasons ago when he was here through the OTAs period. So obviously that came into play for him in this hiring cycle. Now, of course, coming on to this coaching staff as part of this organization in a full-time capacity. So it's fantastic that now the Colts have dedicated offensive and defensive roles support by the great Coach Dungy. Yeah, and, and the Colts will continue to fill positions through the NFL's Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship. So this is in addition to that. If you know anyone who might be interested in this, again, like Mayte said, there's going to be a long line. You can go to Colts.com and you can find a link for the mm-hmm. uh, application on there. The other bit of news that happened on Monday, Jack Doyle retired. And, yeah, slow clap for the, the career of Jack Doyle. I mean... Well-deserved. Well-deserved. This dude... Indianapolis native, Cathedral High School alum, is an undrafted free agent, goes to Tennessee, gets cut, comes back to Indianapolis, and nine years later he's made two Pro Bowls, he's caught 24 touchdowns, he's played in 131 games, and he hangs it up. I mean, what a career this guy had. And was able to do it with his family sitting in the stands. I know the Doyle family, they are so proud. I see Jack's sisters a lot and they love, they Mm -hmm. love so much that they were able to be here, not just at games, 
They were out at training camp, the whole Doyle family. They were doing everything. And because then of course they could. His, right. Exactly. Awesome. His wife, so awesome. His wife, Casey, his two boys, yeah. Ronan and Henry, who got to witness their dad run out of the hometown yep. tunnel, be the hometown hero, Mr. Reliable. And that was a goal of Jack's, was right. to get to yes. play long enough for his boys to get to see him play football. He has exceeded every goal and so excited to see Jack now in this next capacity post-football being able to be even more dedicated to his family and he's going to be here that's the other great thing that we all still get to enjoy Jack being around town I'm sure he's going to show up from time to time he's a guy who thought coming out of high school that he would eventually go on to be a PE teacher and be a coach so I'm kind of curious maybe if a few years you know down the line maybe we see Jack Doyle coaching at Cathedral or maybe making his way back into the halls here at West 56th Street. No, absolutely. I mean, Jack Doyle is, you know, I've been here, uh, this is upcoming, going to be my 12th season, and, and Jack Doyle is one of my favorite Colts of all time, not only as a fan, but as a guy that's covered the team, that's covered the league. I mean, he's just been a rock for the Colts. You know, those nine seasons, he epitomizes class, uh, selflessness, he's a great teammate, um, he's a grinder, and he just... He played the game the way it's supposed to be played. I mean, I don't know how, how else to say it other than that. I mean, he just was he was a true class act and being able to, you know, cover him and talk to him and you know, the insight that he gave in interviews. He just had leadership. I mean, a favorite of, of all of his teammates because he was a guy that just led by example. He practiced every day. He busted it every day. Just, you know, kept his nose down every day, no matter what his role was, right? I mean, in 2013 and 14, he's just trying to make the roster. He's breaking into the league. He's trying to stick around, carve out a niche. He's playing special teams. He's intermixing in the offense. And then by 2016, he's a pro bowler. And then in 2019, a pro bowler again. And then when it's all said and done, guys, He's a guy that's one of the best inline blocking tight ends yep. in the history of the franchise. But then he finishes his career top five in catches, uh, receiving yards, and touchdowns among tight ends. Um, I mean, no matter what you ask Jack Doyle to do, he was going to do it, and he just did his role to perfection. And again, this is what Chris Ballard wanted when he took this job in 2017. He wanted a locker room full of guys like Jack Doyle. I mean, the first thing he did was extend Jack Doyle in free agency, and he didn't draft Jack, and, you know, he wasn't around with Jack, but he just knew what he brought to the locker room in terms of intangibles and made it a priority to bring a guy like that back. So, I mean, we forget that, you know, Jack was, I mean, he's obviously a Hoosier, grew up in Indianapolis and all of those things. I mean, he was great in high school, but then really found his way in college. We forget. Like, only one scholarship offer, right? right Western one Kentucky FBS was the only offer. offer. And then he goes to Western Kentucky, and for the Hilltoppers, he sets all kinds of records receiving-wise among tight ends in the program. So, Going toe-to-toe in that conference, by the way, against a receiver from Florida International. Who yes. T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton. Number yeah. 13. So it's just it's it's so bittersweet because again you know playing that position at the highest of levels for 9 years being asked to do what jack was was asked to do i mean it just kind of takes a lot on his body the toll so you know you can respect where he's coming from but this is a big loss for the colts not only in terms of production but again just what he brought to the team and and the steadiness that he was able to exude to the rest of his teammates that's that's going to be something that's hard to replace certainly one of the most beloved guys who has ever walked through this locker room and I loved going through all the social media yesterday because everyone you know was celebrating Jack and most guys were talking about either the advice that Jack gave them or something they learned from Jack and I think my favorite came from EJ Speed who tweeted out Jack Jack my rookie year we were talking about saving money and you told me the key is to only have one car one house and one woman. Thank you for being you. Enjoy That's your advice. That's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> but like that. That's I mean, the thing. This is the most Jack Doyle thing. Keep it simple yeah. right there. Handle what you can control. Here, here's my favorite thing about Jack Doyle. He, I, I, I think he's the best Hoosier to ever play for the Indianapolis Colts. That I, I don't really think there's much of a debate. Um, you look at, this is some research I did as the year went on. So, Jack Doyle, among Indiana natives, to play for the Indianapolis Colts, so since the team moved here in 1984. I mean, there can't be that many, right? Well, it's like, like him, him, and Ken Ken, him and Ken Dilger, <laughs> yeah. but Doyle is first in games played, first in receptions, first in receiving touchdowns, and second behind Dilger in receiving yards. Yeah. Like, how, like, 
how cool of a legacy is that? You grew not only did you grow up here rooting for the Colts, but for your hometown team to do what he did. I mean, what a legacy that he's leaving here. Also, in too, we forget that Jack Doyle played with let's see, twenty thirteen to twenty twenty one, three offensive coordinators. Mm-hmm. And eleven different quarterbacks. Eleven, I think. Yep. eleven quarterbacks. He, he was a bridge between eras and quarterbacks. I mean, multiple several quarterbacks, eras, right? multiple eras, uh, multiple schemes. They always found a use for Jack Doyle. And one other thing here, Mayte, you mentioned it. Th- this is a big loss for the Colts. I mean, Jack Doyle last year, he was the second highest graded. Yeah, bl- run blocking ask, tight end. By ask Pro Jonathan Focus. Taylor if it's a big loss. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you you think about all the, the ask Quentin Nelson. Ask any guy right. on the offensive yeah. line. Yeah, you, know, you think about all the success the Colts had on the ground last year, and Jack Doyle was a big part of that. As was Mo Alley Cox, with the, the some of the stuff that they could do blocking. Um, it, it's a loss, and it's one that the Colts are going to have to find a way to fill if they still want to be this run the damn ball team. Where you know, yes, the five offensive linemen are the most important part of that. Uh, you know, as is the running back. But, you know, remember when he had Brian Baldinger on after the Bills game and he was just like drooling over the trap wham plays that mm-hmm. Jack Doyle was running. And I made a terrible George Michael Fetty Wap joke that went over <laughs> about 99% of our listeners' heads. Um, but, yeah, I mean. That, that sounds like you. Yeah. Um, I went, I just went to a George Michael cover. Yeah, band tell Lara what you did on Saturday. I, I saw a George. I saw a George Michael cover band. I know you did because you <laughs> set this up, and I told you about when I met George Michael in Beverly Hills at yeah. Spago. Yes, it right. was yeah a highlight for me yeah. as a like fifteen year old. The the George Michael. We were like among the three percent youngest people at this George Michael cover band. It was incredible. The people watching was just as good as the music, if not better. Well, because you were given the tickets by your in-laws, so that's, that's an correct. indication of yes. what the average like constituent <laughs> yes. was going to be. That's like when I go to see the Eagles next month. Yeah. I've seen the Eagles. Yeah, we've done that deal. Yeah. Yeah. The Eagles are awesome. Yeah. I, well, you, Yeah, I mean, they're without their lead singer, so they might not be quite as awesome. Yeah. Now. Well, they still that's, have one, one of their lead singers. Yeah. They one of the two. Eagle. They have no. There's still multiple still Eagles left. Yeah, okay. Timothy B. Schmidt, Joe Walsh. They're still there. Who am I thinking of that passed away? Why can't I? You're think? thinking of Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I actually saw the Eagles played the first ever event at the Yum Center in Louisville, and I saw them back in 2010. How about that? Awesome. Yeah. All right. Hey. hey anyways, uh, re- what, we- what do you weird, got? Weird question. Yeah. Well, not a weird question, but well, it's going to be weird. Food for thought. No, it's not weird. I'm just trying to get us back on on track here. I, th- I thought about this before the beginning of last season and putting together my notes for Jack Doyle, and I thought, oh, my gosh, if he continues to play another you know two or three years, which obviously he only played one, but I'm just thinking he's top five in every tight end category. I think Dallas Clark should be in the ring of honor. I really do. I think he oh. should be in the ring of honor, and I also think that I think Doyle should go in the ring of honor as well. I know a lot of people will disagree with that, but – I just for all the things that we just talked about with Jack, I mean, if you want your Ring of Honor to represent class, yeah. integrity, playing the game the yeah. right way, being a great teammate, answering the bell, being a what you want a Colt to represent, and then just match that with production on the field, I don't know how you don't consider Jack Doyle for the Ring of Honor. Is there a cap on the number of people who can go in the Ring of Honor? I mean, no. just until you run out of real estate to Lucas Oil, I guess. Well, even then, you can, you know, just do banners. Yeah, you know, I guess. But okay. I, I mean, look, Jack Doyle is. I just going didn't to... know how judicious we were going to have to. Uh, no, get I, a, I'm yeah. biased. Now, like, granted, there is a personal. I'm just curious. I didn't know. Is there no, like no, no, a... no. I'm just saying there's a personal affinity for me saying that, and I, I admit it. that. And and people will disagree. Like you know, it's like the Hall of is is Jack Doyle a Hall of Fame cult? Probably not. He represents everything you mm-hmm. want to be about, so mm-hmm. therefore I give him heavy consideration. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm always, uh, I'm always the, just the belief that like, whether you're in the Ring of Honor or the Hall of Fame or whatever it is, like, it's okay to not be in that when you've had such a great career. Just like it, you know. Obviously, it would be great if you could put everyone in whatever Rings of Honors or Hall of Fames. Um, you know, who helped tell the story of a team or a franchise. And Jack Doyle definitely helps tell the story right. of the Colts. But whether he's in it or not, I mean, no one's going to forget Jack Doyle. Well, I think when you, I, when you look at this era, when you look at the, you know, the guys who have gone in of late, when you think about Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, of this next era that followed, 
who was better than Jack Doyle? When you just think about that 10-year stretch, yeah, I think you look at that he would lead that next wave of eligible Colts for consideration for in that kind of 2010 to 2020 stretch, that generation. I yeah, I think he would certainly lead the class of those to be considered. Yeah. Well, as we're talking about this, there is some news coming out around the NFL just with franchise tags. By the way, the Colts, we're talking about the start of Jack Doll's career. That was the last time the Colts used a franchise tag, 2013 on Pat McAfee. Yep. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, I posted a great Pat McAfee throwback honoring Jack yes, Doyle. There was, was a day back in 2016, back when we had open locker room. Remember, Bring it back. Remember what that was like? And uh, Pat was wearing a shirt that said Jack does everything, and it was a, a deck of cards that had Jack represented. Uh, I had to bring it back out. I'm so glad I, I had it from you know, five and a half years ago that I was able to dig that dig that in. Pat retweeted it being the phenomenal gentleman that he is. So that's a fun little throwback o- homage to the great Jack Doyle. Well, the Chuck Norris of the NFL, as Pat described him. I love it. Um, well, anyways, the, the you know, keep an eye out for some franchise tag news today. The Colts probably not going to be utilizing that yet again. But, you know, the Miami Dolphins just tagged uh, tight end Mike Gesicki. That just came out as a recording here. Maybe Chris Godwin gets tagged, you know, some other news around the league. But with that in mind, we want to get to Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus to talk about the start of NFL free agency next week. So consider this your free agency preview. Then I'll be back real quick to introduce our interview with Laura Rutledge. All right, it is a pleasure to welcome to the Colts official podcast, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. In my mind, one of the smartest people out there when it comes to evaluating free agency NFL contracts. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, excuse me, and uh, a Chicago guy. So happy to have you on here, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think that round of applause was for Brad. It was for Brad. That you just heard. That's what it is. Yeah. So to paint paint the picture, we are within the NFL Combine, and we are at the bench press. So you will hear some grunting and some clapping and some raucous activity over our shoulders. And it's mostly going to be cheering on Brad as we talk about free agency. Again, we are recording this at the NFL Combine. So this episode is coming out on Tuesday. We're recording this a couple days before, but we wanted to get a chance to sit down with Brad and kind of talk through some something some things to expect in free agency. And so I just want to start here, Brad. I've got your top 200 free agents pulled up on Pro Football Focus. For any fan listening to this, go check this out. This is one of the best resources out there. He's got scheme fits. He's got recent injury history, contract projections, all those things. When you look at this free agent class as a whole, what defines it? in terms of positions of strength, maybe some positions of weakness that uh, teams are going to be looking at? Yeah, I would say overall it's, it's not a great class. Um, but there's a lot of depth. So the, the top 20, 30 guys, maybe not great players, but a lot of depth. Um, I think in terms of positions of strength, it was wide receiver. Obviously a bunch of injuries now is kind of you know Michael Gallup and, and Odell Beckham Jr., um, but tight end as well. It, it sounds like maybe some franchise tags in play there, but a lot of good tight ends in this class. Brad, you are one who is great about examining the cap, and that is something that the Colts give you know a lot of credit to Mike Bloom, who manages that as part of the Colts organization. And it takes a lot of creativity at some points to navigate that, but he really enforces cash over cap. Can you put in perspective the Colts situation right now? With the, They had a number of big signings last offseason. He locked up Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, Naheem Hines. We know that there's that conversation about Quentin Nelson, of course, with that contract looming here over the next few months. How well positioned are the Colts with what they have available this offseason? Yeah, so their philosophy is to mash the catch to the cap. So they want to, instead of pushing money down the line, they want it to be pretty neutral. And, and that gives them flexibility. If they want to get aggressive, they can then look like the Saints and the Eagles where they're pushing things down the line and, and that. But they've done a great job with all those early extensions you mentioned from that phenomenal 2018 draft class. And getting all those deals done enables them to focus on Quentin and then, you know, maybe some external guys. Um, you know, Braden Smith and, and Darius Leonard, they did set the market or come close to it at their positions, but I think those deals are going to age pretty well in, in the near future. So something that Chris Ballard talked about this week as he was talking about free agency and the Colts' approach is that they're willing to overpay, but they're not really willing to overcommit. And the, the thing he specific, specifically mentioned is, quote, it's just when you straddle yourself with three years of guaranteed money because that's where free agency is going for the high-priced guys, and then you miss on it and you leave yourself no out, then that strangles you going forward. 
So when you think about that approach and how teams are structuring these contracts, if you aren't willing to go deep into guarantees in that third year, does that leave you short of certain guys, or are there different ways to kind of get around that? So it goes back to the last question where because Indy is not giving big signing bonuses and doesn't have first-year first cash flows that are you know, matching some of these other teams, they probably have to guarantee money in later years to match the full guarantee of the deal. Um, yeah, it does. It complicates matters. And, and like he said, that is the trend. We saw you know, T.J. Watt made this big effort to get guarantees in the third year. Obviously, he's you know, in a class of his own, but that is going to be the push to get more and more guarantees in later years for those assurances for the players. And once a guy hits free agency and is on the open market, you have to compete, you have to overpay, because that's just the nature of free agency. And the interesting aspect is that it's a two-way street in free agency. It's not just that the team has to have the money to pay and the interest in that player and the commitment to that player. The player has to want to come to that team, too. In your opinion, what makes the Colts an appealing landing spot? at what free agency positions, and then what are some of those things that the Colts might have to answer if they are pursuing free agents at certain positions that would ultimately help lure them there if they can address those issues. Yeah, I think the, the Colts have a great infrastructure. You know, I think it's a stable organization. Even with this entire tenure of, you know, not having a quarterback at certain times, they've still been a winning organization that entire time. And so I think that stands out. They also tend to stick by their guys. You know, he mentioned getting strapped with maybe deals into the third year. They don't cut guys early. They're not trading players away. They, they try to build with their own guys. And you can see that in the moves they make. Everyone says that. The Colts actually do it. Um, in terms of how you attract free agents, you know, to Indy, I, I think Frank Reich is a huge piece of that. Uh, I think players love him, love playing for him. And I think Ballard as well. I mean, he is one of the more open general managers in the NFL, and you get the vibe that he's open with his players as well. And, and there's some GMs that are not really talking to their guys, and there's kind of not that connection. Um, I think it's an attractive place, but of course, you know, depending on the position, obviously, if you're an offensive weapon, maybe it's a bit of a question mark at this point. Defensively, with the addition of Gus Bradley, inherits a strong defensive foundation from Matt Eberflus. With what we know of Gus Bradley and how he's developed defenses, what might make this appealing at what type of defensive positions that you have free agents this year? Sure, yeah. So we saw with Gus Bradley in Las Vegas, he brings that cover three system, that infamous yeah. Seattle cover three system, and it's, it's great for cornerbacks. It is, you know, we saw Casey Hayward with a, a bounce back year last year in Las Vegas. It, I'm not going to say it's easy on the corners, but if you're a good zone corner that, that can, you know, manage the, the field and, and kind of play in space, it, it's great. And it's revitalized a lot of careers, and I think that's the, the attractive piece there. So for sticking to that topic, one of the things you have in here that I mentioned is scheme fit. So when you're thinking about cornerbacks who might be available in free agency, and you got to think about scheme fit, it's not just let's go out and get the best corner because if you go get a guy who plays mostly man, yeah, there's some man match stuff that Gus Bradley does, but you're, you're thinking more a zone corner. So throw a couple names out there for us then. Yeah, I think Steven Nelson in Philadelphia was with Pittsburgh before, um, had a good year uh, on a one-year flyer, and I think is a, a good fit in zone. Also, Rasul Douglas, you know, was drafted to be a man cover corner, obviously did not go great to start his career, maybe can't get re-signed to Green Bay because of all the obligations they have there. They were a heavy zone scheme last year, and he had kind of a breakout season. So those are two names I'd probably keep an eye on. R Rasul Douglas, by the way, he was the one who was signed off the Cardinals practice squad, then ended that game in Arizona with an interception uh, of Kyler Murray. So just a little little note on him there. Well, you're mentioning Kyler Murray. There's, of course, a lot of conversations surrounding him and his future with Arizona. This current quarterback climate, there are a lot of teams that are quarterback needy in certain situations. When you think about the retirement of guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, how do you explain the landscape that there is within the competition for quarterbacks and the market that there is for free agency quarterbacks, how slim that might be, and the likelihood of making any major trades, what it would command to get some of the guys who are those top-tier quarterbacks that a lot of people are probably going to try to target. Yeah, I think that's how the landscape has changed. That At this point, if Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson gets moved, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah. I, I think now you're looking at probably Jimmy Garoppolo as the, the best quarterback that, that could realistically get moved. And you look at free agency, it's not a great class either. Generally, there's not great classes in quarterback free agency. You wouldn't be a free agent if you were a great quarterback. But, you know, I think there is belief league-wide that Mitchell Trubisky, you know, had th these issues in Chicago, but then the issues persisted when he was no longer there. So it seems to be the belief that maybe another 
other team could get their hands on him and turn him around. But, yeah, it, it, it's tough to add a quarterback, again, as the Colts know very well, to add a quarterback through those means. But, you know, you got to make the phone calls and, and see if you can get a price tag on a guy. But, yeah, the Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers guys, there's almost maybe not a price tag that's possible to get them. You can only trade picks three years into the future, and those guys might be worth, you know, five first-round picks. Yeah. With the quarterback class that you have in 2022, a lot of people were saying this is a weaker quarterback class altogether. With this week at the NFL Combine of the quarterback class, who has the most to gain in not only getting out on the field and performing in all the different disciplines, but also sitting down with those NFL head coaches having those meetings. Who are those quarterbacks that you think could make the biggest leap, perhaps? I think it's Malik Willis. You know, I was down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and just he has some physical tools the rest of this class just does not have. You know, a raw player, but also a guy. There's been reports that the teams were surprised by how good he was on the whiteboard and talking through football, and, and they shouldn't be surprised. We've heard that he is you know, very cerebral, knows exactly what he's doing on the field, but I think he's gaining that steam and kind of building that reputation now as a guy that probably won't want to sit for a little bit and kind of bring along slowly, but has the potential to be a franchise quarterback. How important are opportunities like the Senior Bowl and the Combine in particular for guys who come out of smaller schools where it seems like the biggest question on those guys like Malik Willis is, can he go with those guys who are coming out of the Power Five as opposed to the guys you're seeing who are coming out of the large schools who are going against that top-tier talent? It's, as we always hear from our scouts, like things like the Senior Bowl with Combine, apples-to-apples comparison where you're able to see him throw alongside those other guys coming out of the more major programs. Yeah, I think it works both ways where, you know, obviously the competition is a step up, and I think the big thing that Willis proved in Mobile was that wasn't an issue. You know, you know, playing against better defenders, guys that are going to get drafted and was still making throws, but also at the same time, his offensive line in Liberty did him no justice and, and was not helpful, and so him having better, more time and, and more room to operate, he really elevated his game and I think showed he belongs with all those guys. I'm going to talk about some guys who might protect the quarterback because, you know, you're looking at what the Colts are, are going to try to accomplish in free agency. They need to find a, a solution at left tackle with Eric Fisher becoming a free agent, Mark Lewinsky at right guard. Where do you see those two guys specifically fit in the larger free agent landscape? Like how much competition if the Colts, by the time this episode comes out, they have not you know, maybe made, made a move to resign them. If they do hit the open market, where do you see those guys fitting in, again, in the larger free agent landscape? So Fisher's interesting because Teron Armstead with the New Orleans Saints, you know, before Sean Payton retired, I would have told you there's no chance he's going anywhere. Now maybe the calculus changes. I mean, he's a potential $20 million per year guy at left tackle. And do, are you making that commitment with the highest paid right tackle in football and, and maybe not a quarterback on the roster? So if he hits free agency, then that you know maybe bumps Fisher down a peg. If not, Fisher is the premier left tackle on the market. I do think Indianapolis, though, with that one-year flyer for him, coming off the Achilles. I think the plan was to bring him back, and I think they're going to get something done. One thing we learned at the Combine from Colts general manager Chris Ballard was that T.Y. Hilton does want to continue playing football from the last conversation that they had, and that he has a lot of belief that T.Y. has great football still ahead of him. And part of that, not only the physical traits that T.Y. has, but the mentality of T.Y. Hilton. When T.Y. was a free agent last offseason, Baltimore was one of those aggressively pursuing him. Where do you see the demand being potentially for a T.Y. Hilton, a veteran receiver who's coming off of that neck injury that limited his 2021 season? I think at this point he's playing on consecutive one-year deals. You know, I don't think there's a multi-year deal in his future, which is probably what he's looking for as well. Um, I, I don't think the one-year 10 or one-year 8 up to 10 is on the market again. Um, we saw it with Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. As time went on, that the one-year flyers got a little bit smaller. I think that's probably a similar situation. But you know, I also thought Chris Ballard really stamped the table for how much he believes in Paris Campbell and a lot of the guys they have in-house. But I do think they'll try to get something done with Hilton as well. How about tight end, if we're thinking about playmakers too, where you know we don't know what Jack Doyle's status will be, whether he will retire or not. More like Cox set to hit free agency. The Colts theoretically could have some openings there, especially for that inline blocking tight end. What's this class like at tight end uh, in terms of the depth and the, the star talent that could become available? Yeah, I think it is arguably the greatest free agent class at tight end we've ever seen. And part of that is because obviously the position is coming along and it is now getting you know addressed more and drafted higher and all those things. As far as blocking tight ends, the, the Carolina Panthers deal with Ian Thomas, three years, $16.95 million, changes the calculus for everyone. I mean, it raises the floor quite high. And I think now everyone that saw that deal, Mo Cox included, obviously not as much of an inline guy, more of a receiver, but yeah. those, those tight ends are going to get paid this offseason. A year ago, 
Danico Autry and Justin Houston were a couple of guys who explored free agency and ultimately ended up leaving the Indianapolis Colts. Danico going to Tennessee and then Justin Houston finding a new role in Baltimore. It seemed like at the end of the offseason that Chris Ballard put a lot of emphasis on that edge position and the importance of having not only a veteran presence, but also depth. Last year, they drafted Quiddy Pay and Dio Dangbo. If the Colts are pursuing the free agent options all along the defensive line, particularly at edge rusher, what type of market will this be if that is an area that Chris Ballard does decide to prioritize and make a move for? Yeah, so there's a decent group there. More the older guys, though. I mean, it sounds like Von Miller will probably be back with the Rams. But, you know, Chandler Jones, I think, is going to hit the market and, and maybe not return to Arizona. Um, and then you look at guys like Emmanuel Ogba as a potential guy to reach the market in Miami. There's some names there, but I will say that is a position where you're overpaying in free agency every single time. And, and, and you know, some deals work out, but it's, it's a tricky, you know, situation to navigate at edge rusher. So when you think about free agency, just in general, there's this mentality out there of like, well, these guys are hitting the market for a reason. The teams don't want them back. But that's not always the case. Some teams do have cap issues that they need to address. You mentioned the New Orleans Saints with Teron Armstead. Of course, they would love to have him back. Can they afford to bring him back within the constraints of their cap? Things like that. Are there certain guys out there who are hitting the market not because the team that they played for you know, the last year or whatever it's been doesn't want them back? but because the team they played for can't get them back. I would say the thing that maybe folks overlook as well is that even if you can afford it, teams don't want to break their precedent to where they're paying so much for a guy and the next guys coming up are then looking at those numbers and trying to replicate that. Mm -hmm. So even if they can afford it, can they afford to set the precedent where everyone's looking for more money and things like that? So there's not really any guys that I think you know are, are going to leave strictly because the team can't afford to bring them back. I think Green Bay is probably the only team that might be in that situation. What about like in terms of coaching changes where you go from one offensive staff to another and now it's a different scheme. You go from one defensive staff to another, now it's a different scheme. Are there certain guys who could be good scheme fits, maybe here in Indianapolis, who were good scheme fits where they were and now all of a sudden maybe are not? 100%. I mean, I think Gus Bradley's defense is different than Eberflus. And, and, right. and Bradley loves to bring his guys back in the fold. I mentioned Casey Hayward. He had Darius Phylon in Las Vegas mm -hmm. last year as well. And I think he will reach out to those guys and, and bring some of his people along. I think also underrated as well is, is general managers want to get their guys in the building. And, and they're not, you know, tethered to former players that were drafted or signed by the prior general manager. You know, maybe to, to, to a fault where they want to get all their guys in the building. But I do. I think they want to put their imprint on the roster pretty much right away. Well, the portion that the fans get to see is are the things like media availability and they'll get to see, you know, the 40 and, you know, the bench press and all of the activity that we have going on. So much of the combine is about the conversations that happen away from Lucas Oil Stadium and away from the convention center. The new league year doesn't begin until March 16th. How many of these conversations are happening this week between you have, you know, GMs and head coaches and agents that are all here and discussing those things to some degree, getting a gauge on the interest that there is even prior to things being official. Yeah, so obviously by the rule book, you can only negotiate with your current pending free agents. But yes, I mean, some of those conversations are happening. Again, nothing nothing where you're you know talking out details or anything like that, but definitely trying to gauge the market, get an understanding of where other teams view certain players. And, and as you mentioned, too, how the guy fits. Is he going to leave the team he's on because he's no longer a fit? Uh, you know, one example, I think, is Mike Kosicki in Miami. I think they would love to have him back, but they're going to that wide zone rushing attack. He's not a blocker. And so, you know, like things like that, you try to gauge not the numbers, and dollars and cents, but just maybe just who's actually going to be available. The, the, the last thing I want to ask you about, Brad, is when, when you were with Over the Cap, you did a lot of work on comp picks. Um, you were always my go-to guy in Chicago to be like, can you explain this to me? Like, how, are the, you know, how is this going to work out? I believe the Colts are slated to get a couple comp picks this year for free agents leaving last year. Danico Autry and Jacoby Brissett, I believe. How, how do, when, when you look around the scope of the league, t certain teams, it seems like, do value that letting a free agent go, and then recouping that comp pick. New England is the most famous example of that. I think Baltimore does it quite a bit. Um, when you approach free agency that way, how does that affect the business that you might be able to do, whether it's not maybe not in the first wave of free agency, but waiting until that May cutoff line? Like that, that focus on comp picks for certain teams, how does that affect 
their approach. Yeah, so a perfect example is Eric Fisher, because also you have to be a truly unrestricted free agent to count in the compensatory pick formula. If you were cut by your team, you don't count. So those guys have an added value where you bring them in. It doesn't affect your formula. Um, but yes, that's, the teams are very cognizant of that. The, the May deadline is actually a new deadline from the new CBA. It used to be in July, and players said, look, you know, there's this dead market, and teams are waiting to sign us, and they want to sign us, but they're making us wait just because they don't want to impact their comp picks. Teams are very cognizant of that. The Colts are very, very cognizant of the comp pick situation. We had to wait to see a combine back here two years long to see the Indian to see Indianapolis again host the combine. For you, best part about just getting back to this week, being on site, getting to have these conversations, but also looking at guys firsthand, having all of the conversations and evaluations that you are. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You hear a lot of the you know the buzzwords and, and the idioms about like being in person, just the different, the way you can really get to know a person and get to know people in person, but it's real. I mean, just seeing these guys up close, asking them questions, hearing how they respond to things and, and how they're thinking, their thinking, their thought process, excuse me, it, it's different. And, and it's it's important to really get to know the person. Like you mentioned that the, the interviews and stuff like that might be more important than the testing brad spielberger from pro football focus follow him on twitter at pff underscore brad read him on pro football focus again this guide to 2022 free agency is going to be it's going to be how i'm going to get through it frankly and it's how you should get through it too if you're listening to this so brad thanks so much for joining us thank you all right thanks again to brad spielberger from pro football focus for the knowledge about nfl free agency now to our interview with that lara overton and i did with ESPN's Laura Rutledge. All right, very happy to be joined here on the Colts official podcast by Laura Rutledge. You know her as the host of NFL Live on ESPN. You can follow her on Twitter at Laura Rutledge. Thankfully, the bench press has stopped as we are recording this here at the NFL Combine. Um, That's because Laura just did her 27 yeah. reps and then came over here to sit down. Wow, and you know, 27. I, I don't know that I've done 27 reps of anything, to be <laughs> totally honest. I, it's it's uh, That is a whole scene over there. I I didn't know that was going on until I came over here, and I'd like to thank you guys for letting me witness it because it's wild and crazy. The best has been the people who've dropped out. You know, like, I've been advised to not do this. The best was yesterday a guy dropped out because he said he had an ankle injury. It's like... <laughs> Me, that's like me dropping out of running because I like stubbed my pinky. I'm laying you know? down doing mm-hmm. a bench press, but I've hurt my ankle, so yeah. I'm not going to be able yeah. to do it. Yeah, I, I like that reasoning. I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to drop out because I ate a really large lunch, and I don't think this is really good <laughs> for me to be doing Just right once, now. I want someone to be honest and be like, look, I'm not going to do the bench press because, guys, I was at high velocity until like 2 o'clock last <laughs> night. Like, come on. Don't ask I, me to do this. I can't. Well, it is International Women's Day, and Laura is our featured guest in celebration of that and your journey to host of NFL Live. You started in college football, graduated from University of Florida. That's where you cut your teeth covering covering the Gators, working on radio, and then through SEC Network, working on the sidelines in college football. When the opportunity arose to transition from college football to the NFL, which is a natural path because you did so much of the SEC already. So a lot of those a lot of those guys carry over into the NFL. What was it about the NFL, those nuances of the NFL, where you felt like, okay, the game is the same, it's all football, but if I'm going to host this show in order to prepare myself to be at this table with these very strong personalities, this is what I need to develop, and this is how I need to grow, and those things that I needed to learn and transition into. Yeah, you know, you bring up a lot of great points about some of the similarities and some of the natural transition steps that you would take from going from the college game to the NFL game. And even so, I walked into hosting NFL Live, and of course, it was in the middle of a pandemic. We're trying to revamp the show, and um, all of a sudden, we find out, well, you're not going to be together. Everyone's going to be remote. Of course, we've been very thankful this past season to be together again and really get the thing rolling but at that point I thought wow you know just felt like one thing after another was almost stacked against what we were trying to do and and yet the opportunity was incredible and I think I think what ended up working out the best for me is something that I've always sort of struggled with at times is is trusting myself and saying wow you know just rely on your skill set, rely on your knowledge, rely on what's got you to this point instead of the self-doubt that creeps in where you say, maybe I don't know enough or maybe I don't belong in this space. And we're also guilty of that no matter what the role is and no matter where we are in this business. And so I think for me... um, that's been that's been something that's allowed for a lot of success and, and just being really thankful for the people around me because they are incredible and I would be nothing without them. A number of those people around you, you have people like 
Mina Kimes and Dan Orlovsky and Ryan Clark. And as analysts, we know a lot of their preparation for a show comes from watching film and those different things. And you are one of the hardest working people, period, at the network because you're still doing college football coverage. You were doing SEC Nation. I think you were doing the national championship game yeah. here <laughs> in addition to hosting. I NFL feel like Live I was just here, that. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> what is the preparation like for you behind yeah. the scenes? Because all anyone sees is that time that you're on television. They do not know all of the work that goes in to preparing for each and every show and doing multiple different jobs that you might be juggling simultaneously. Yeah, I, I think for me, I've had to figure out how to compartmentalize a little bit. And, and during the college football season, you know, I hosted SEC Nation. So on Fridays, I would host NFL Live on the road and then transition to SEC Nation on Saturdays. And that, that was probably the most abrupt turnaround that I had. But really what I would do is say, all right, so on Saturday, I'm fully invested in college football. On Friday, it's a little bit of a half and half because I'm still hosting NFL Live, but preparing for SEC Nation. And then throughout the week, it's a working knowledge of both sports and, a, and of both leagues, to, for lack of a better way to put it. And I, I think for me, I my level of prep prior to this season and even the season before was so intense and it was always constant research and constant I need to read this article and I need to call this person and I need to watch this and I need to find this out and I need to I mean I watch a lot of film too just to, I, I watch in a different way than obviously our analysts do but um, just to familiarize myself with things that they're talking about and make it make sense for me and so I felt like I had to dial back on some of that and that made me very uncomfortable. But what I think you find is that a working knowledge allows you to, to go out there and be prepared. And then in other times you remember that this is an entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like taking myself too seriously is the worst thing I could possibly do. And so, um, you know, really leaning on the people around me, I think helps a lot in all of that. And, and if I'm being totally honest, not a lot of sleep and a lot of coffee. So yeah. <laughs> that helps. But, um, you know, I, I, another thing, too, that I think is, is important is just trying to always live in a space of gratitude. And, and I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that there aren't days where I'm like, woo, your girl is tired. And what am I doing? You know, um, but but I think at the end of the day, I always remember I, I wanted to be the radio sideline reporter at Florida. That, that was my dream job in when I was in college. And. I couldn't believe I'd even have a chance to do that. So I'm always like, wow, remember, I mean, you, you couldn't have even dreamt these jobs and, and this career. And at some point it'll be over. And, and at that point I can get plenty of rest, right? And I'll, I'll look back and uh, say, wow, you know, that, that was something that I could have never imagined. How, how does your, you know, you, you mentioned juggling NFL Live and SEC Nation and kind of dipping your toe back in college for that. How does now that we're here at the NFL Combine and you're seeing some of these players who you've researched and talked about on that show now coming here and being evaluated by NFL teams that you will eventually be talking about on NFL Live, how does that kind of help you out in your coverage here? This is my favorite part of the year because it is. It's like my two worlds converge. And if anything, I'm, I'm almost excited for the world to learn about these guys because mm -hmm. I, I feel like in our college football world, it's certainly national coverage. And, and you think about the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world, the Floridas, the Ohio States. I mean, USC, it, it, those are the brand names that you hear about a lot. But there are so many of these players that are yet to be discovered in a lot of ways that I've seen their stories, or I've watched them grow, or I've watched them struggle at times. I mean, you think about the story of Matt Corral this year, mm -hmm. one of my favorite players that I've ever covered, the Ole Miss quarterback, and um, to see him without a doubt play in that Sugar Bowl, and then the sickening moment of getting injured in the game, and yet he still has no regrets. I mean, that's who that guy is, and, and watching him get paired up with Lane Kiffin and see his growth and the way that he's, um, you know, just become a great quarterback that I think has a good chance to be a, a, a great guy at the next level it is really cool. So I love it. Um, it becomes a lot easier for me. I don't have to do as much of the, you know, sort of familiarizing myself with these names and it becomes more about how can I tell people something that they don't know about these, these prospects. And um, I think the personal side of the draft and the combine is really important because if you're a fan of of whatever team you want to know who are these guys who am I getting who's who's going to be a jersey that I'm going to want to buy or that I'm going to want to tell my kids about NFL Live is year-round at this point this is not something that is just over the course of this season covering the postseason what will your role be leading up to the NFL draft coverage and then also how indicative is it of the monster that the NFL is when you can command 365 type of yes. conversations 
for this sport. It's a good thing for job security for us, right? Yeah, it never <laughs> ends, right? I mean, this NFL news cycle just goes on and on and on. And um, it's so funny, like, after the regular season, after the Super Bowl, it, we were getting a lot of tweets saying, oh, we're going to miss you guys you know, until next season. We're like, hey, we're still here. Like, <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the, the role continues to be every day, five days a week, 4 p.m., NFL Live. And, and we'll do a lot of coverage that's more draft-specific, obviously, leading up to the draft. We'll be at the draft. Um, and then, you know, even following the draft, obviously, we continue on. And, and by that point, you know, you sort of make the transition. We, we end up in July, and you're talking about training camps and everybody getting back out there. I mean, it, it's just it, – it is – the NFL is so smart in this way. They, they are never out of the news cycle. And I'm just honored to be able to, to be a very small part of that. You mentioned sitting at the table with the group of analysts that you do. And even before you were sitting at the table, when everyone was virtual, you're all trying to come together and do a show. One of the silver linings I found of the pandemic was when we were doing a lot of the road games. I wasn't down on the sideline because we had to call the games remotely for some of these. So right. I was sitting next to our color analyst, our color commentator, Rick Venturi, longtime coach in the NFL. And I would just absorb by osmosis so much by being next to him or having conversations in commercial breaks. You have brilliant analysts around you. You're incredibly talented in hosting everything. How much have you grown and learned by being surrounded by the group that you have? What are the different intricacies that the people who work on that show have contributed to your career? I've learned so much. Uh, they constantly amaze me. I mean, Dan Orlovsky is the absolute best when it comes to the tape breakdowns on camera. What you guys see is not rehearsed. It's That is his natural talent, his natural ability. And this guy is literally sending us these tape breakdowns on his phone at 5 a.m. every morning throughout the season. And I love it. I'm, I'm like sitting in bed, like watching, and, and I'll get our two-year-old out of her bed and, and bring her into the bed. And, you know, we're watching. And she's like, oh, it's football. And I'm like, yes, one, one after the other, you know. Um, but, but, I mean, so fascinating, the things that he notices about the game that's made me watch the game different. Mina Kimes, who has such a unique perspective on football and is one of the most talented and knowledgeable football analysts that I've ever come in contact with, the way that she sees things and, and her overall perspective over the way that, you know, offenses and defenses in general have changed and, and different trends that we see and, um, you know, even just watching how she processes things, explaining real time, hey, this is why you would go for two here. <laughs> all of those things that now I feel that I'm a, a smarter football fan who's been a fan all my life, but, you know, have grown a lot. Marcus Spears, who is like my brother, we've been family for forever because we started at the SEC Network together back in 2014. His joy for the game um, is so contagious. Ryan Clark, who I I've never seen someone explain defensive schemes better. And it, it was funny because he even last night he was visiting with Lou Anarumo, uh, the Bengals defensive mm -hmm. coordinator, and, you know, just nerding out on uh, nitty-gritty scheme and, and talking about the, that Bengals defense. And uh, it, it's just so fun to be a fly on the wall in, in all of that. And I, I, I really do feel like I've had the luxury of growing leaps and bounds in, in my football fandom and knowledge. So NFL free agency is coming up in a couple weeks. What is it like hosting a live show when there is just constantly breaking news, breaking news, breaking news? And it's it, to, to me, that seems like an incredibly fun challenge, but yeah. definitely a challenge. What is that like? So it's funny because I think um, you and you guys know this. You're very unscripted on your coverage. I think there are a lot of hosts that would say, and I totally respect this. It would say, wow, those shows kind of make me uncomfortable. That type of show is my wheelhouse. I love mm -hmm. it. Um, to go in and say, all right, so we think this is going to happen. We think that's going to happen. We have a loose plan. We know we're going to be popping up Adam Schefter tweets throughout the show. We're going to be popping him on to tell us what's happening. But really, we have no idea. And, and, you know, my career really started in live event coverage. And so there is nothing less scripted than a game because you don't know what's going to happen and being prepared, but yet throwing out all of your notes because something changes and you've got to roll with the punches. I mean, it, it is very similar to to that in a way, but I think for me, um, you know, almost learning to break down some of the barriers, we call it the fourth wall sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and being real about it, you know, hey, I'm getting in my ear right now information, the urgency there of, of driving that to the fans at home and, um, you know, calling their attention to things, almost noticing that they should care about them or that, hey, we're going to be doing this and this, selling things as we go along. I mean, that those are the moments that I really treasure and, and those have always been my favorite shows. You mentioned your 
two-year-old and she's prominently featured, those who follow you and <laughs> hundreds of thousands or millions follow you across your platforms. And she is like a savant in picking college football games. Yep. Like, yeah. I don't know if she signed a deal with like BetMGM or something. She should. Yeah, the, the NIL deal, maybe. <laughs> right. uh, what was her record in college football? She picked 14, the national champion. She was 14 and three. Wow. And, uh, and like, I, it, it, people are always like, oh, well, you must be telling her what to do. I'm like, if I told her what to do, her record would be worse. You know, she there were so many times. I mean, we, we really As a tried. parent of a two-year-old, that definitely tracks. Yes. And, yes. and, and, and like, <laughs> right. I'm like, if you're telling me that I'm telling her what to do, you don't have a two-year-old yep. and you've never had one <laughs> mm-hmm. because they do what they want. But, um, you know, it's, it's so funny because it, it's been really special for us. I mean, it was just a random idea that we thought up in the pandemic when she, we, she couldn't even walk at that point. She was still like eight months old and she would crawl to the helmets, you know, and, and somehow she's always known what to do. We've never even really said anything. We just put her in a hallway or now we've gone outside and put her outside. Um, but yeah, so one of the weirdest ones was my husband went to Alabama. So she picked Alabama to win the SEC championship game. So she picked an upset there. And of course he's like, I don't even care if they lose, you know, this is great. Reese, good job. Blah, 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 blah. Then we get to the national championship and she picks Georgia and he said, Oh, well we got to do it again. And I said, okay, well, you know, fine. I'll, I'll give you a mulligan here because it's very important to you. But I feel like to the sanctity of her picks, it's not quite right, but we'll do it anyway. She proceeds to pick Georgia three straight times. <laughs> he then locks himself in our living room, has like a closed off door and will not talk to her for an hour. And I finally went in there and I said, do you realize that this is a two-year-old and this is your child? And he's like, I know, but now we're going to lose. Sure enough, yeah. she's right. Georgia wins the national championship. So that's when she really started to freak me out. And she picked the Super Bowl correctly. So so if you you know add that in, uh, there's another correct pick. That was her only NFL pick of the season, but she picked the Rams. So, right, so 15 and three then. <laughs> Maybe we should let her in the draft room and, and make absolutely. some draft picks. Absolutely, yeah. Us. Here's here three three draft cards. Which one are you going to pick? Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. All right. Well, Laura Rutledge, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you can watch her on NFL Live on ESPN every day because the NFL season season does not sleep. There is it no such does, thing. Right? As Hopefully an you off get season. to though, Hopefully you get some sleep. Although the you know, two year old. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, four hours here and there. I'll take it. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again to Lara Overton, Matt Taylor, Brad Spielberger, and Laura Rutledge for joining me, JJ Stankovitz, here on this episode of the Colts Official Podcast presented by WinBet. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network wherever you get your podcasts. Give us those five-star reviews. We love seeing them. Turn on those notifications because we have a bunch of free agency little vignettes coming out. If you haven't listened to them, we just did one. Bill Brooks, Matt Taylor, and I on Chris Reed and Mark Glowinski. Some interesting stuff there on what the Colts' future at right guard is. Lara, you're going to do one with Matt Taylor and Casey Vallier on Al-Kadim Muhammad. That'll be out on Wednesday. We have another Inside the Draft episode coming out Thursday. And then Friday is the last word to take you into the weekend. And then next week, free agency begins. Buckle up, dude. Buckle up for free agency. (laughs) We'll be back here on the Colts Official Podcast next Tuesday on here on the Colts Audio Network. Anyways, thank you for listening so much. We'll talk to you next time.